0: Come on, me on, come on,
1: Hello, and welcome to Faithful in Memphis. I am Reverend Deacon Debbie McHannis, Vocational Deacon in the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee, serving the Church of St. John in Memphis. Every Thursday at 8 a.m., this program speaks with interesting people to learn about the role that faith plays in their lives. We are broadcast from WYXR 91.7 FM in Memphis, Tennessee. At this time each week, we learn about the saint of the day, someone who has done something extraordinary in his or her life that is noteworthy in some way. On May 13th, we commemorate the life and work of Francis Perkins. Frances Perkins was an active member of the Episcopal Church and the first woman to serve a president of the United States. She was born on April 10, 1880 in Massachusetts and educated at Mount Holyoke College, the nation's oldest continuing institution of higher education for women. Her last semester there, she enrolled in a course in American Economic History, that would have the most profound impact on her life. The course concerned the growth of the industri- of industrialism in England and America. Her professor required the students to visit the mills along the Connecticut River in neighboring Holyoke to observe the working conditions there. From this experience, Frances Perkins later said, from the time I was in college, I was horrified at the work that many women and children had to do in factories there were absolutely no effective laws that regulated the number of hours they were permitted to work. There were no provision which guarded their health nor adequately looked after their compensation in case of injury. Those things seemed very wrong. I was young and was inspired with the idea of reforming, or at least doing what I could, to help change those abuses. After graduation and working in Chicago and then Philadelphia, she moved to New York continuing to be an advocate for industrial safety and a voice for labor reform. Here she caught the attention of two of New York's governors, Al Smith and Franklin D. Roosevelt, in whose state administration she took part. President Roosevelt later appointed her to a cabinet post as Secretary of Labor, a position she held for 12 years. As Secretary of Labor, Perkins would have a major role in shaping the New Deal legislation signed into law by President Roosevelt, most notable, the establishment of the social security program. During her years of public service, Francis depended upon her faith, her prayer life and guidance of her church for the support she needed to assist the United States and its leadership to face the enormous problems of the time. She would rarely take time away from her duties to make a retreat at an Episcopal convent in nearby Catons- Catonsville, Maryland. She spoke publicly of how Christ's incarnation informed her conviction that people ought to work with God to create a just Christian social order. Following her public service, she remained active in teaching, social justice advocacy, and in the mission and ministry of the Episcopal Church. She died on May 14, 1965, in New York City. Our guest today is Dr. Hunter Baker. Dr. Baker serves as the Dean of Arts and Sciences and Professor of Political Science at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. He's the author of three books, The End of Secularism, Political Thought, A Student's Guide, and The System Has a Soul. He's contributed chapters to several others and has written for a wide variety of print and digital publications. He is the winner of the 2011 Michael Novak Award conferred by the Acton Institute, and has lectured widely on religion and liberty. In addition to his work at Union, Baker is a contributing editor for Touchstone, a journal of mere Christianity, and a research fellow of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Also in the studio today with me are two members of our local uh, chapter of Braver Angels, Kurt Cowan and Colleen Kuchero, and we will hear from more from them later in the podcast. Good morning, Dr. Baker, and thank you very much for joining us.
2: Hi there. Very happy to be with you.
1: So are we really a polarized nation today compared to perhaps other uh, time points in our history? Why do you think this is so, you know, how are we getting more or less? And your thoughts on how this is affecting our country?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that I've thought about this a lot, particularly during this uh, during this past 5 to 6 years that I've been working with, with the Braver Angels but I think I think that a big part of the reason is that for those of us who are my age and older I'm I'm 51 we lived in a period when the news media was basically divided between three main channels. ABC was actually the latecomer of the three. You had kind of the evening news, you know, there was no 24-hour news at all. And we we lived through a period of media consolidation when most of the multi newspaper cities had had really gone down to one paper in most cases. And so the media environment was one where there was, you know, there's always been accusations of media bias and things like that. But generally speaking, the media that I think that most of us grew up with was a play it down the middle kind of media. And what happened, at least I think in part, a uh, couple of things. One is the the tremendous success of the Rush Limbaugh show starting around 1989 or 1990. You know that that program was shockingly successful. You know before shows of that type had been local, they had been kind of they had not been politically bombastic. You know they were they were kind of reined in by the the so-called I want to call it the fairness doctrine. And so it was discovered that that political opinion had a lot of entertainment value. And then the next thing, the of course, the Fox News channel became absolutely gigantic, you know, also also kind of representing a point of view on the spectrum. And, you know, Roger Ailes, before his various scandals, he used to joke that he had found a secret demographic, which was half of America, right? And so, so you had, from that point, you had this kind of splintering in which the different, different channels started to serve different audiences. So, you know, Fox for conservative, the old joke was Fox for conservatives, MSNBC for liberals and CNN for airports. But in any case, you had these, these different sort of points of view. And then you, then you considered the internet as part of the equation. And people realized that not only could you broadcast to liberals or conservatives, but But actually, the market could be broken down into almost infinitely smaller slices, right, where people who were concerned about very specific kinds of things, whether that be abortion or free trade or immigration or criminal justice and, uh, and, you know, race, all this, all this division of particular, you could get the news that you wanted in the way that you wanted it. And in a way that would largely cohere with your own biases, whatever those might be right? Yeah. I always uh, joke with people. I I tell this story all the time. I remember being in Houston in the, gosh, around 2008 or thereabouts, and I would leave work and I would go to the gym. And uh, back in those days, you'd you'd get on a treadmill and you just had to watch whatever was on the TV in front of your treadmill. And my gym was really busy and, and, uh, you know, I'm a conservative, but I would always end up on the MSNBC treadmill. (laughs) And so- (laughs) So there would be a, there was a show, the Ed Schultz show at the time, and he was very, he was very liberal. And I always joke with people that Ed Schultz's show is the same every night. And the theme of the show was, is that there are demons breaking through the crust of the earth. They are every day, they're tunneling through the crust of the earth. They're going to break through the crust of the earth. And when they do, they're going to kill us all. And the demons are the Republicans. Right, that was the theme of the show every single night, and of course, we know that the opposite applies on the, you know, Fox Network or or whatever. Right, this sort of this sort of uh, demonization of one's opponents. Unfortunately, what we have discovered is, is that that is actually pretty popular. And so, for me, as a conservative, when I would watch Ed Schultz, I felt uncomfortable, and I would be sweating and unhappy and and miserable. If I were to watch something that I agreed with, I would actually feel calm and content and, and happy, you know. And so we all we all tend to do that. It's almost like the uh, the psychological experiment where the, the hamster learns that if he hits a certain lever, he gets a treat. And so he just hits the lever over and over again. We are we are kind of doing that in politics. And so I think, unfortunately, we are losing our capacity to to really discern right you know it's a good good spiritual word discernment we are not exercising a lot of discernment when it comes to news and information and the things that we share and say and so unfortunately this is this is causing us to be angrier to be more vindictive it is damaging families it's having a negative impact in churches and certainly it's affecting our politics i you know before the show i told you all that i had done a talk about this in my church, and the reason is, is that a a woman in my church, also formerly faculty at my university, she came to me with tears in her eyes, and she said that she was so disheartened by the impact of politics on her family, on her Sunday school class, you know, all, all the things in her life that really mattered to her were being torn apart by, the, by people's disagreements about politics. And she just said, is there anything we can do? Would you please give a talk in our church about this and, and, and see if we can try to, to improve the situation? And, uh, and so I did that. And I, I think as a country, we're in a situation where we need very many such talks right now. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So, where do you see us going, going from here? What what can be done about this polarization and even demonization uh, of the other that we do? I mean, as you just said, it was we notice it in our in our houses of worship, our families, and our friends. What can we do uh, differently? How how do we solve this this problem or crisis? I might even yeah. Hear? I think it was actually before Donald Trump was elected. David
2: Blankenhorn, who is the the head of the organization called Braver Angels. David had known me from some think tank stuff right around the turn of the millennium. And David is, he's a confirmed New Yorker, but he is one of those Mississippi boys, right? Who went off to Harvard and never went home again, right? And, And has lived in New York his entire adult life. But I think he goes down to Mississippi to see his folks every once in a while. And he he came driving through Jackson, Tennessee, and he looked me up, I guess, because he remembered me from all those years ago. And so, you know, we got in my car and we drove around town and I started showing him things. And David said, you know, show me where your Confederate monument is. I was kind of offended. I was like, I don't think we have a Confederate monument, you know, in this town. Unfortunately, it turned out David was right and I was wrong. <laughs> we... Apparently, we did have a Confederate monument. But in any case, you know, we we talked about the town. I took him out to dinner with my family. You know, he may have spent the night or something like that. But he told me, you know, that that he had begun to really be interested in this this question about political polarization and that. He thought it was, it was becoming a really serious problem in the United States. And, uh, and he was doing, doing things with Jonathan Roush, who people may recognize as a pretty prominent journalist. And so he, he wanted to begin to publicize this problem and, and to try to help people to deal with it. And uh, I was immediately captured by it. And it was not long after that that we all had a had maybe the first big meeting for the group at Virginia Mennonite University. I think that was the name something Mennonite University. And we were in Virginia in any case. (laughs) And uh, and so there was this small group of us, one of whom was Peter Yarrow. I don't know if any of you recognize that name from Peter, Paul and Mary the musical group. Yeah. You know, and I can remember being a kid. And my father having the Peter, Paul and Mary albums in our house, you know, and singing Puff the Magic Dragon to me at night before bedtime, things like that. And there I am sitting next to Peter Yarrow, you know, in these in these meetings. And Peter is a Peter is actually a pretty different guy from me. Politically, Peter is very much to the left. He gave a he gave a little concert while we were having our meeting there. They just invited people from the local community to come. And he still has the drawing power. They, I mean, people showed up uh, to listen to him. And so, you know, if you're in my group, you remember this song. Actually, I may have originally learned it in the Episcopal Church when I was a child. The, uh, you know, oh, what is it? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? And except Peter's version was no more poison fracking. No, you know, I'm going to let it shine. So he's got his environmental, you know, version of it. So very much different from me, but... What we found as we convened this group and we began to talk about, so how can we deal with political polarization? The original question was, well, do we try to find a political compromise? You know, do we try to find a set of positions that people can agree upon? And both Peter and I agreed that that was not the thing to do. And, and this this was true of everybody in the group. This was actually our first true consensus was that, no, we're not going to try to find some sort of middle position that people can agree upon. What we're going to do is we're going to insist upon the dignity of the human beings participating in the in the process, right? What we're going to do is we're is we're not going to insist that everybody agree, but that they learn how to talk to each other in a way that is fair that they learn how to understand what, what the others are actually saying, right? You know, that you, that you practice disciplines such as, I'm not going to attempt to debate the other person until I can state in words that they would accept what their position is, right? You know, so just real, I think a lot of times we, we talked about it as civic virtue, that we would try to learn how to practice civic virtue, everybody in the process. And by that point, you know, they had also done some pilot testing and it was fascinating. They would, they would have a sort of a facilitator. I think it was Bill Dougherty from University of Minnesota. And Bill would sit with what we called 10 reds and 10 blues, you know, to kind of, to kind of have a a moderated and facilitated discussion. All he would really do is to, is to help them to have this conversation while respecting each other's dignity and remaining civil. And it was fascinating because before they would come in very suspicious of each other and very negative toward each other. And, and, and honestly, not really wanting to spend any time with each other. And then they would leave and, and they would say things like, I'm friends with some of these people now, right. Or, or even agreeing to attend each other's church or, you know, something like that. And so what we saw is that, is that is that we don't have to agree, but we certainly can learn how to respect each other. And and just to remember that we're all human beings, you know, made in the image of God and that we can have respect for each other. And it was just is very impressive, I thought. And so I was I, I became committed to the work kind of around that time and have been in and around it ever since.
1: During your involvement with this, do you think that currently that we're getting that, that the polarization is getting worse or do you think it is about the same or getting better?
2: I think that we're in the phase right now where we're building, we're building the awareness of the problem, right? I, you know, more and more, I'm beginning to notice media attention being paid to the problem. So I, I think that we're in that stage where we are turning it into something that Americans think and care about, right? And we're we're in that phase of trying to say, hey here's a problem and we know what will actually improve things. So let's, let's try to go at it that way. So this is early, right? Very, very, very early stages of the thing.
1: Okay. That was my next question. I I don't remember. You may have already said about when did the uh, braver angels and all sort of be a little more formalized or come into being that we, to be shared with other, uh, other communities.
2: Yeah, this, so I think that the first meeting the first board meeting or, or exploratory meeting that I remember being part of was probably summer of 2016. It was a foregone conclusion that Donald Trump was going to lose the election. So so we were totally wrong about that. But the but, see, you know, we began talking about about how we would extend the work. And, and so we planned a bus tour and they began to roll out these workshops. And so, so they were doing that in earnest kind of at locations around the country right up until COVID hit. In addition to that, they also began holding these high profile debates. I participated in a few of them in which you would have kind of a, you know, high profile politician of the right and one of the left to debate in front of an audience modeling these virtues. I can remember Dick Gephardt being involved in a few of these early on. Now, it's interesting all of the high-profile politicians who are willing to do this right now are retired they they aren't they aren't that interested in doing it right now while they're in office because right now what pays is the the fiery YouTube clip or or tweet or whatever right uh, but so some of the retired ones are trying to trying to show the way and you know so've we've, we've had a number of these events we've had some on election night in in 2020 we actually did what might almost be thought of as a secular, civic kind of a devotional. You know, we had for for the entire evening, we had somebody trying to give people perspective in a calm and, and considered way in 15 minute chunks all night that night. And I was one of those people. The COVID put a damper on some of the activities because that stopped our bus tours and, you know, it stopped all the in-person events and things like that. But that having been said, I think it actually helped us because during that time they developed the capacity to to do these events virtual, you know, that has worked out pretty well. So, I mean, from my perspective, it just continues to grow and to get better. The, the number of prominent people who have been willing to be associated with this is really significant. I mean, I, I joke with my students, two of the people on the board are Francis Fukuyama, who is, you know, one of the most well-regarded social scientists on the planet, and Jonathan Haidt, also extremely well-known. I always tell my students that I get affirmative action to be on the board because I'm the evangelical I'm their, I'm there, I'm their conservative evangelical representation on the board, but it works out well. And I appreciate that they want to hear from me. So, But one more thing, one more thing to say about this along those lines, prior to the election, a friend of mine who is a very liberal, he wanted me to, to, to speak with members of his church via Zoom so they could listen to a conservative evangelical. And so, you know, he interviewed me in front of his group via Zoom and he asked me, you know, questions. I gave him straight answers and I didn't, I didn't compromise my answers or anything like that, but I told him what I thought and what I believed. And one woman in his church, she just began weeping. And, and he asked her what's wrong. And she said, I was just so convinced that he would be a monster. You know, I mean, yeah. she was, <laughs> she was so surprised, you know, that, that a person who thought as differently as she did could still be a reasonable human being you know, who could who could talk in in a way that could potentially be constructive. And people, we can all learn that.
1: Right. So it sounds like you have seen some headway, but where do you see us uh, really in progress or making the progress? What else do we need to do to improve the situation to make even more progress?
2: Yeah. Well, we have to we have to convince people that this is desirable, because right now, I mean, all of the profit is really in the direction of setting people against each other right i mean one of the things that i think one of the things that i think the the social media industry has learned is that anger is a tremendous force you know for the business that there's a lot of money to be made in anger and you know that's that's what gets people to to hit the like button or the dislike button or the share button you know is something that that makes them angry or confirms their biases or or whatever and so that's that's the phase we're in we have to actually convince people that it's a bad thing that their emotions are constantly being manipulated, that it's a bad thing that, you know, people that they that they probably usually like fairly well in their ordinary lives, they are starting to hate that that's a bad thing, you know, and that, that there are ways to think that that can avoid that. So I guess what I'm saying is we need to we need to kind of try to elevate this virtue. I think it's a forgotten virtue and we need to elevate it.
1: Right. And so coming out of COVID and maybe more in-person events, do you think that might help? Because it's so easy. You're hiding behind uh, your computer or whatever that you can lash out and, and say really ugly, negative things that I don't know that one would say that if you're actually sitting there looking uh, at the other person.
2: Yeah. No, I think I think that's actually a big part of the problem is that people give themselves a lot of license online that they would not give themselves in person. but in terms of in-person events, I do think that it that it would be good for us to try to get back to that. And the reason I say that is, is that as much as uh, we're talking here and and we can feel a certain connection, right? And you know, hearing each other and understand each other, it would be stronger if we were in person. And and we would have a stronger sense of being able to to know what the other person is like. And you know, some informal opportunities to chat outside of the, the actual structured interview and things like that. So, yeah, I do I do hope that Braver Angels is going to be able to do that as well as we go forward.
3: Love is but a song we sing we die Can make the mountains ring. Oh, make the hills. So
1: our elected officials. Yeah. Has there been any work as far as going in, you know, going to Capitol Hill or I mean this is the work of us, the people in, in our yeah, city. See, town. I
2: well, here's what I would say. I, I think that actually we we have had to some degree a demonstration of this in the last gubernatorial election in Tennessee. And what, what I mean by that is now, you know, so obviously we have a we have a pretty deep red state where the 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 result is you know, semi foregone conclusion. But within the three participants running for governor, we had the three and two of them were better financed than Bill Lee. Okay, they had they had more money, they had bigger names and they were sending postcards and mailers against each other and airing ads against each other constantly. You know, there was a lot of there was a lot of just blood in the water constantly during that election. And Bill Lee won. He was the number three guy and he won. And I think that a lot of it was because he basically said, I am not going to attack the other two. You know, he he abstained from that conflict. And I actually think the voters rewarded. him. So I think that I think that we need more politicians who are willing to sort of run on that basis and kind of say, you know, I don't think it's good for anybody. I don't think it's good for our community for us to run elections in this way. And I'm going to try to model something different. And we, the voters, we need to tell politicians, that's what we want. We actually want to see that. And then we need to reward them with our votes.
1: Right. So there are chapters, aren't the chapters the correct word, in East Tennessee and Middle Tennessee. And now here in West Tennessee, in the Memphis area, we're trying to establish our own our own group, and I don't know if maybe Kurt or Kali would like to speak to that, or do you have any um, suggestions or insight or you know tips to to help us? This is a big challenge, right? We we have reached a point in in
2: our lives in the U.S. where what we want to do is we want to go home and we want to watch the giant television that's that that is basically the model of american life right and so the thing that i would say is the big challenge is is for you to actually get people to come to you know to want to want to kind of sit down and talk through these things and plan events i think that has become harder in the u.s right now than it probably has ever been
1: Right. I think you're right. And and Kali shaking his head and and you are instrumental in, in getting us going here in the Memphis area.
0: Yes. So, as you said, we the, the state of Tennessee got into starting Braver Angels events in the Nashville area and uh, the Knoxville area. So, there are already two alliances in Middle Tennessee and East Tennessee. And since 2019, we were trying to get something started in Memphis, but COVID got in our way. So, now we are in our second round, and our Memphis Alliance of, of Braver Angels is uh, a couple of months old now and officially started and we are planning out some events. Well, we have some really wonderful opportunities to, if if people listening here are interested in continuing this discussion and getting to know each other across our our different sides of the political spectrum we for one you just need to go to braverangels.org that's the best place to start and there's lots of ways to make yourself known there and and get connected there's some um, lots of information just to watch on youtube articles to read and you just sign up there you can donate you can tell us where you live, and you'll eventually, if, you, if you're in a zip code that's in the Memphis metro area, I'll be talking to you. That's all it takes is, is just entering your name, email, and and address with a zip code, and I'll, you'll be connected to Kurt and I to invite you to some upcoming events. Two of those upcoming events are a documentary watching party that we're going to be doing here in a couple of weeks, and then we're going to be doing some skills training uh, workshop in late August, and then we're going to be doing a more interactive in October, so before the midterm elections, that will be really exciting. And so, all you have to do is just go up to BraverAngels.org and put your name there. I think there's a section called "Get Involved." You click on that link, and you take it away, and, and then you'll be routed to us, and we'll invite you to these events and and help you get involved.
1: Thank you. You know, no, no. and you
2: you you mentioned the website. That website is absolutely full. Of resources, so so it's a good way to connect and 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 you know get your name on a list and for people to contact you. But I think that they probably also have just tremendous archives of of a different reported material and podcasts and publications and things like that. So if you kind of want to get in there and explore and get a good sense of of you know what has been done, you know who who has been involved, you'll be able to get it on the website. I, I just spent some time on it earlier this week, and
3: there's an awful lot on there. I know NPR did a segment on, I think, All Things Considered just a few weeks ago, and that's linked on the website. You go to BraverAngels.org, and it's in the media. That's, the, I think, the far right tab. There was an excellent interview of someone uh, named Monica Guzman, who just wrote a book about this subject, and it's in the Washington Post. That was only four weeks ago. So this is all, there's a lot of things happening nationally and a lot of uh, attention, I think, coming to Braver Angels. And that's a good place to go and get more information. Just be sure to, while you're there, give us your email address (laughs) so that we can be in touch with you.
0: Yeah, it's, 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 it's worth underscoring. This is a national movement. This uh, Braver Angels are in all 50 states now, either through some state coordinator or through local alliance. The emphasis of Braver Angels is on local alliance. It's it's getting citizens to be um, talking to each other and learning um, these civic virtues, as um, Dr. Baker has, has outlined. And so while there is national coverage and we're doing national things, our emphasis with with this particular grassroots movement is is focusing on on our as local as we can get. Um, so, but we're on all fifty states, right? And our metro area, just as a reminder, does include our our neighbors on the other side of the Mississippi uh, state line. So, you are included too if you're in. Horn Lake or South Haven or Olive Branch, we we count you as part of our Memphis uh, area family. Or if you're over on the Arkansas side of I-40 in Marion or West Memphis, please tune into it. We we, uh, want to count you in as part of our family here in this uh, Memphis Area Alliance.
1: Thank you. I've been to a couple, and I know Kurt has two meetings or events here. How has the is the spectrum represented?
0: Yes. Yeah, it generally holds together pretty well. It does usually tilt a little bit to the blue unless we're doing a workshop that um, has to be you know evenly balanced. But from the beginning, Andre, I'm sure you. Remember that Lebanon, Ohio workshop that was the first was a 12 blues and 11 reds. <laughs> and that's pretty much been the story throughout our, our events so far. So, but that's a pretty, uh, a pretty good balance to be continuing. And we're always working on just dialing up the the red side of the spectrum there to to make it perfectly balanced.
2: That's, that's a really good point. I mean, as long as I can remember during this process, it has been more of a challenge to get the reds involved. I don't know exactly why that is to get people who are more conservative involved. So, you know, to the extent that you've been able to do that, I congratulate you because, you know, that's we have needed we have needed more contributions from people on the right to this effort. You know, I don't I don't know if it's the people you know, some people on the left have have more experience with kind of trying to foster peace, or you know, something like that. But it definitely it definitely has been more of a challenge to get conservatives involved.
1: Are there any other questions that we want to address to Dr. Baker today?
0: Well, there was one question I I, I would have. Love to hear from you a kind of more of a personal anecdote about what gets under your skin that makes you
2: want to stay involved in this subject, like you're around kind of your personal story. And to me, probably just because I teach political thought. And when you when you teach political thought, it's not it's not really partisan. Right. I mean, yes, political thought can be more liberal or more conservative. But but sometimes if you're reading Plato or Aristotle or Aquinas it doesn't even track with kind of our categories right and so what i really pride myself on as a professor is it is not my task to indoctrinate the students right i am the the outcome that i want mm. is i want them to learn how to think and uh, and propaganda and demonization get in the way of people thinking And so so something gets under my skin. That's it. Right. That's that's what offends me. I just want there to be kind of an integrity to the thought process. And, you know, polarization doesn't doesn't assist that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So why are you motivated to see the braver angels that we have an alliance here in Shelby County? And what is your why for making this work, for putting in the work? As it was mentioned earlier uh, by someone, it's so much easier for us to go into our corner, back into the room with the people I know, and not have to engage in, 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 in the uncomfortableness
0: I think for me, it's it's about in our in my family. I come from a very you know, liberally biased family, but I was surrounded by a lot of conservative mentors as well, who took it upon themselves. That's just the role of mentorship of of not getting angry about political difference, but coaching young people that it's okay to talk about differences and and then and leave it at that so we've we've seen to with the advent of social media lost a sense of what i valued having as as a younger person in That political differences meant strong relationships, not not angered or divisive
2: relationships.
3: Well, for me, and this is this is Kurt. I mean, I've been worried about the decline in the national discourse for some time. And on a personal basis, I worried what about what cable news was doing to me and I gave it up. At one point, since then, I've been more and more concerned, I guess, that, gosh, just between my wife and me, we have relatives in both of our families on opposite ends of the spectrum that are well, kind of live in a bubble, I think, or maybe don't maybe don't get much exposure to divergent points of view not all of them they're really all across the spectrum mm-hmm. and 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 that concerns me because you you go into these wonderful family events and and, and there're there landmines there that you can't talk about and so that's gotten me uh, more interested in the polarization and the national discourse and what braver angels is doing.
1: Yeah. you know it's important that we, we we can say we value the worth of another but it's important to me that, that we show it and we live it and so it's important to me that that we uh, can come together and as was noted earlier I mean we are part of the human race and as children of God we have value and worth and to instill that and acknowledge that in ourselves each other and model it for our children yeah there's a lot of people watching
0: yeah mm-hmm. So in terms of our offerings, the, the basic structure of or the largest superstructure of Braver Angels offerings are skills training workshops, interactive workshops, and then everything else. We have catch-alls like book study groups and songwriting contests and all of that stuff. So, But the, the main core stuff are the skills training workshops. Workshops like Skills for Bridging the Divide, where you learn a whole toolkit of t- communication skills, things that you can take to your your workplace, your family scenarios, and learn how to talk through a conversation so that you hold the relationship together, and that that is that it has a political. Um, nature to it that you hold the relationship together rather than see it fall apart, et cetera. And then family and politics is another example workshop. That's the one we just did in March. It's more of a skills training workshops about how you handle different personality types within your family, you know, the, the gladiator versus the, the, the bystander or the peacemaker, you know, it's okay to talk about politics in a family instead of just having it barred. As long as we know how to be fairly fair and engaging. And so you learn skills for doing that. There's a whole nother class of workshops that are more interactive and that we really try to get a a balanced set of attendees, like six reds, six blues, and they interact with each other or maybe a, a balanced set of reds and blues, but it's called depolarizing within. And the blues talk with the blues about stereotypes they have of the others and what they think the others have of them. And then they you come back all together and, and you have some crosstalk about, oh, my God, I was so wrong. It just said, oh, my, my gosh, like Hunter Baker was saying, I didn't really thought you <laughs> you were all monsters. Now I see you're all human beings and I've had the wrong stereotypes all along. But Kurt was just in a, recently in a depolarizing within workshop. And so Maybe you want to give some insights into that.
3: I, I went into this thinking, like, "Oh, well, this is preaching to the choir. I don't need this. I'm, I'm you know, it's all those other people that that need this kind of training." and And the uh, the workshop started out with some questions to ask yourself, and I found myself a little embarrassed about my answers. I. The first question was, how often do I find myself thinking about those people on the other side without much regard for the variation among them? Because usually we're aware of variation within our own group. So often, sometimes, or never. And I thought, well, you know, that 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 a problem. How often do I find myself comparing the worst people on the other side with the best people on my side? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a problem too, right. <laughs> How often do I find myself assigning mainly self-serving or negative motives to the other group and mainly positive mo- motives to my group? So, you know, when you start thinking through this and looking, looking within, it's a, it's a real interesting exercise. And that was just the opener mm-hmm. for this. So that was just a, sort of a check uh, checkup to see where are you and and then we got us some skills it's a very interesting way to spend some time it Is of course depolarizing within is not you know something you could do on your i did it on zoom i was actually zoomed into a group in nebraska so i was with all these corn huskers in nebraska <laughs> doing it was very nice uh, but but it, it was just, just a very interesting process so if you're looking within you, you, you're not lined up with someone on the other side of the spectrum, or at least we weren't in this case. And so I guess that means I could do it without being embarrassed in front of anybody <laughs> I know or getting to know. But anyway, it's very, very interesting.
0: That's another powerful aspect of the Braver Angels website is that you can go to this website, go to the calendar and participate in any workshop that's done online around the country. You don't have to just do stuff in Memphis. We're doing a workshop this Saturday together in Minneapolis because they're doing it online. It's open to anybody. So a local alliance is for the local people, but it's also, it's all is if it's online, anyone can attend from around the country if it's convenient for them because the process and the curriculum is the same. Uh, regardless of where it's presented. And it's just that the Memphis Area Alliance will probably, because of our the uniqueness of our community, we will have a particular penchant for some topics that we'll maybe want to delve into that other parts of Tennessee or the other parts of the country, you know, just won't be as appealing for them.
1: Oh, that's excellent. Dr. Baker, thank you for joining us from your office in Jackson via Zoom. Thank goodness for our technology that that we've honed our skills, especially during this pandemic time. Polly and Kurt, I want to thank you both for joining us here. And our hope is that we can continue to grow our alliance here in Memphis and see some positive change in how we interact with each other. (laughs) Thank you for joining us this week for Faithfully Memphis, a podcast from the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. To listen to past podcasts at Faithfully Memphis, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a moment and leave us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This really helps us get the word out about our show. You can learn more about the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee at edwtn. Dot o-r-g and we're also on Facebook and Instagram. I am Deacon Debbie. Until next time, stay safe and stay positive.